So I think that no matter what you're working on, if the people you're working with are good, funny, kind, decent, smart people, you will have fun doing it. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Okay, so our guest today is Sarah Green Carmichael, who is an executive editor at Harvard Business Review, where she co-hosts the HBR IdeaCast and Women at Work podcast. So she's a podcast veteran. Uh, Prior to joining HBR, she worked as a sports writer in Boston and a researcher for Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Ellen Goodman. She also spent a year teaching high school students and learned a lot from that experience although she's not sure her students did. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm really, really happy to have you with us here today, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about, um, we're going to kind of go back and forth. And so let's start though with what you do now. Tell us about your job, your role at Harvard Business Review, um, how long you've been there. Just tell us a bit about it. Then we'll rewind too to college and so on. But tell tell us about what you currently do. Yeah. So my job now is, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, hosting a couple of podcasts. I acquire and edit a number of articles for HBR, especially a lot of the articles you see on the website. I manage a few people um, as their boss, which still feels weird to be someone's boss, but it's a good kind of weird. Yeah. And I do a bunch of other random things. I edit books. I do projects like I have to figure out sometimes sort of what sound like boring sort of behind the scenes projects on the website, like figuring out what the taxonomy of the website should be, which if you know what that means, you're maybe excited about that. And if you don't know, it sounds probably boring. But so it's kind of a hodgepodge of of different things and it's always changing. And that's been true as long as I've been at HBR, which is almost 12 years. So so I I know what HBR is, of course, but it's possible some listeners don't. So can you just give a just give a quick sense of what Harvard Business Review is. You've mentioned a podcast, you've mentioned a magazine, you've mentioned books. Can you just say just say a couple words about it? Yes, good point. So Harvard Business Review, uh, we like to think of ourselves as the world's premier management magazine and publication. So we publish articles and podcasts and videos and books and all kinds of formats with the goal of trying to help people be better managers to get more out of their careers, uh, to be better bosses, to, to have more of an impact on the world. Excellent. So, so now let's rewind. So we have a sense of what you do now. And tell us uh, a bit about where you went to college, though I actually know, I know the answer to that question because I think we went to college at the same place. Yes. <laughs> uh, where did you go to college? What did you major in? Tell us about your college experience. Let's, let's start there. Yeah. So I graduated from Brown University, but I actually started college at Connecticut College uh, and ended up transferring partway through. Um, it was one of those things where uh, the first choice I made just wasn't the right one for me. And so while transferring was 
difficult because I didn't really want to go through the whole college admissions process a second time because the first time was bad enough. It was ultimately the right thing for me to do. And it was a good experience because it helped me realize that even if you make a mistake with a pretty consequential decision like where to go to college, you can fix it later on. So I I think ultimately, I'm glad I had that experience. I majored in English literature. It was always obvious that was going to be my major. It's always what I had wanted to study. So I, I, didn't, I didn't think too much about it. I just did it. And I worked on the college paper and, and did, a kind of, did a bunch of other things. I always knew I wanted to go into journalism. So from that perspective, I had a lot of clarity, but I, I didn't really know what kind of journalism I wanted to do. How did you know you wanted to go into journalism? It's interesting. I think some, I imagine some people really have a strong sense about what they want to do. Some don't. Was, did that, was that something that you had in high school that you, that sort of guided you to college? Did did it, was it a epiphany in college? Just say a bit about that. Yeah, I was just lucky that from a young age, I really enjoyed writing. And I think because I enjoyed it, I got good at it. And then it just seemed, it sort of, happened sort of naturally. It just was like, oh yeah, I like this. So, you know, I'm going to major in English and I'm going to work on the college paper. And kind of one thing just sort of led to another. But I think, you know, it wasn't, it's not like I never questioned that path. I definitely questioned that path. And that's how I ended up, you know, working in a school for a little while. I worked in a bookstore for a little while. I, I kind of tried different things, but I always came back to journalism and even though I've covered different topics, you know, politics or sports or management, I, I always, I still really enjoy what journalists do. And I really enjoy editing and writing. So to me, I never wanted to really be a novelist. I always knew that nonfiction was what I wanted to do. And yeah, I, I think I was really lucky to have that sense of direction early. Let's, let's sort of like think about senior year. And this is actually really hitting home to me because I was, you know, I went to Brown as well. And I remember senior year at Brown. <laughs> I do these interviews, I'm thinking someone should interview me uh, because I, you know, I, I'd be curious what it was like for you. You know, you, you knew you wanted to do, jur- I'm sorry, you wanted to major in English, you did. You knew you wanted to do journalism, but you had to find a job, right? You had to figure out something to do after college. Tell us about sort of that transition from college to the professional world. What was your what was your first job? What were your first jobs? How did, tell us a bit about that story and maybe then fill in the gaps between there and how, you're, uh, how you ended up at Harvard Business Review. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I did. And I'm not sure this is like, I would tell this story as an example of what to do. Uh, it's just what I did. So my senior year in college, I decided I was not going to ruin my senior year by worrying about finding a job. This was 2004. So the economy was pretty good still. We had had the tech bubble sort of burst a few years earlier, but it wasn't like graduating, you know, in 08 or something where there just were no jobs. So I I kind of just figured I'll find a job. Something will come up. I'm not going to worry about it. So I didn't, which in the end was, it worked out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would advise that approach, but for me, it worked out. And I remember my roommate coming in and saying she'd seen a job posted on the Brown jobs board, which I tended to ignore because I had looked at it a couple of times, didn't really see anything and kind of stopped checking it. But she checked it and she saw the posting for the job that would become my first job, which was to be a research assistant to an, at that point, anonymous op-ed columnist. So being an op-ed columnist was something that at that point was like my dream. I really wanted that to be my path. So this would be like the perfect job for me. So I wrote a cover letter. I sent in my resume and I waited to hear back. And 
I got the call back. And that's when I learned that the columnist would be Ellen Goodman, who's someone I had always enjoyed reading and had sort of looked up to from afar. So that was like a huge relief to me, but also stressful because now I like really wanted this job. So I ended up like applying for the job, but then also deciding I was going to go on this cross-country road trip, uh, which was like another long-held dream. And I just didn't know when else I'd be able to do it. So I remember completing the sort of rest of my application. I had to do a a kind of test, uh, which is common in journalism that you have to do kind of a bit of sample work so that the person can see how you think and, and what you do. They usually give you a little project to do to, to kind of help with the interview process. So I remember completing that project on the road in Alabama on my sort of halfway through my cross-country drive. So I did that. I got the job. I did it for two years. It was great. And then I kind of had to figure out what else to do after that. Because, you know, when you're someone's research assistant, that's the job. There's not really advancement beyond that. So that's when I really kind of had, I think, the questioning that a lot of people had done, a lot of my peers had done in still in college, because then it was like, now what do I do? And that's kind of when I, I had that kind of quarter life crisis. And so, so, so what, what did you do? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So what I did was I, I told Ellen that I wanted to, to leave and explore something else. And she was really supportive of that. It's really helpful to have your first boss be a great mentor. <laughs> I recommend that if you can swing that one. And I did another cross-country road trip to try to sort of sort out my feelings. And then I came back and I did, um, I worked part-time in a bookstore. I worked part-time in a school as a tutor and teacher and teacher's aide. And I started doing a lot of freelance writing. So I wrote anything that anyone would pay me to write. And some of the assignments were really dumb. I wrote one article on where to meet men for a local newspaper. I wrote another short book on the War of 1812, which I actually really enjoyed working on. Um, So it was sort of anything, if you would pay me to write it, I would write it. And through that process of, of freelancing and trying different things, I realized, you know, I'm not a very good teacher. Andy, I really tip my hat to people like you who can teach. I really struggled. So I was kind of like, okay, that maybe that's not the path for me. Um, and I liked working in the bookstore tremendously, but you just can't make any money working an hourly job in retail. So I knew I, I kind of had to go back to what I had wanted to do before, which was journalism. So through my freelancing, I had met a woman whose sister worked at Harvard Business Publishing and who told me sort of through the, the old girls network, as we sometimes jokingly call it, that there was an opening. And I applied and and I got the job. And you know, at the time, to be totally honest, I felt like I was just selling out. I thought, I'm doing this because I want a full-time job with healthcare benefits. And I hope to do it for, you know, three years maybe. And in the end I've I stayed there, you know, almost 12 years. And it was wonderful and I loved it. So you just never know. And you're still there. I'm still there. I'm still there. <laughs> okay, yeah. just to clarify. Yeah. Wow, really really interesting story. Really interesting story. So so let's jump into the advice. Not not that you haven't been giving advice already, but into the more formal advice uh, part of our discussion. So, and I think that we'll probably come back to some of what you talked about as we talk about these questions. So the first one is is about misconceptions that that young young people have uh, entering the workforce. And it's interesting because you, you, I guess, have, an, have a unique vantage point where you've, you've had the experience yourself, but you also work in an organization, you know, Harvard Business Review, where 
know, people probably write about this and talk about this. But so, so what's your sense about misconceptions young people have? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's hard to have a misconception because there's, I mean, I, I don't see young people, for example, having sort of misunderstandings. I just see that there's a lot, it's a sort of an unknown world. So there's less of a conception that's wrong and needs to be debunked than just the kind of blank canvas that needs to be filled in. So when I started, for example, at Harvard Business Review, at that point, I still had not had a job that was sort of a big organization where there's gray cubicle walls and you kind of sit down at a desk for eight hours at a time um, because my earlier jobs had been much more flexible. So that was just something that I had to learn. I had to learn to sit still for eight hours and deal with sort of sometimes boredom or sometimes, you know, uh, urgency, other people's urgency. And that was hard. And it was kind of like, this is it. It's like a Dilbert cartoon or something, but it really was like that. And it, and it was a big adjustment for me. And having a commute where I sat in a car and drove to work was a big adjustment for me. I had to buy all new clothes because none of the clothes I had in college were suitable for the workplace. So all of that stuff was just kind of a big adjustment. And then there was like the work itself, which was interesting and challenging and sometimes kind of boring. And there wasn't always enough of it to keep me busy. And, and that was actually the easy part. The work was the easy part. It was all the stuff around it that I think was, was just hard. It's interesting. I keep thinking about the, the comment you made earlier about um, selling out you know, initially, I wonder if there's something in there about a misconception, you know, where a lot of people do have, or at least they try, you know, they, they have this idea and this vision of choosing a job or an industry where there's just, you know, it's just so aligned with their values. And it sounds like at least initially, Harvard Business Review wasn't, but that over time in unexpected ways, I'm, I'm sort of filling in the gaps here because you haven't, you haven't talked about it yet, but that in sort of in, in unexpected ways, it, it ended up not feeling like selling out at all. And if, if that's right, tell us about that, because that could be something interesting in terms of a misconception. That's very insightful. Yes, that's very insightful. So I think my initial conception of Harvard Business Review was like is this stodgy place that was very kind of published boring stuff. I hadn't really read any of it when I decided to apply for that job. And after uh, very soon after working there, I started to realize like, oh, for example, we publish a lot of stuff about kind of gender in the workplace and you know how women can get ahead, how organizations can become more diverse. That was an issue that I cared deeply about um, and something that I had been researching in, in writing about in, in a freelance way for a long time. So that was just an example of something where I thought, oh, okay, you know, this, this means a lot to me. And then I started to find kind of meaning in our, our mission. I, I realized, you know, people spend a lot of time at work and the mission of HBR is in large part helping that time be more pleasant and productive um, and making offices a better place to work. So as I kind of got to see all the ways that our work had impact on real people, it started to, to really mean a lot to me. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, 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 so let's now, I said, we're going to sort of fast forward and rewind. I want to rewind again to college. I'm curious. And I think students also are wondering about this too. Were there any skills or knowledge from college that ended up being particularly useful for your career? Could be sort of things you didn't anticipate would be, but are things that you did anticipate, you know, can you, can you draw the link? Yeah. I mean, in some sense, 
all this, the, the writing skill and editing skill that I had practiced and learned over both high school and college was immediately useful, right? Because that's what I was doing. And especially my first job as a research assistant, I was using research skills that I had honed in college. So that was kind of what I learned from like the in-class learning that I then could apply to my work. But I, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff I learned in college that was most helpful was kind of stuff about showing initiative and not taking no for an answer. So one of the things I really wanted to do in college, which I ended up doing, was writing an honors thesis. And at, at Brown, you had to take a special class uh, to kind of prepare for writing your honors thesis. And I hadn't done that because I had transferred in. Um, so what I ended up doing was just basically begging the dean to let me do it. And it worked. Uh, and and I, I think at that point, up to that point in life, I had kind of been a rule follower. I was someone who never wanted to do anything against the rules in case I was caught and got in trouble. And, and for me, that experience of advocating for myself successfully taught me that, oh, like you can do this, you should do this. If and, and, and I think in the workplace, that was really helpful just in terms of you know, advocating for promotions that I wanted or ad- advocating for projects I wanted to be on. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, so some sometimes it's it's those sort of unexpected elements uh, that end up being really important. Really, really interesting. So, so let's actually hear from a student. So today's student question, I am going to play for you right now. Uh, let's listen to it, uh, see what they have to say, and see what you have to say. Hi, my name is Logan, and I study management, and I'm from Boston. I was wondering how your academics transferred into leadership skills in the workplace. That's a great question. I think that, so one of the things that is really helpful as a leader is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. I think the times I've managed to be most effective, it's when I can understand where the other person is coming from and what matters to them and how the situation seems from their point of view. And I think uh, as an English major, that was a skill I, I had worked on Extensively, because you're you know you're trying to imagine the inner lives of these fictional characters, um, and you're trying to to sort of analyze the text on multiple levels. So, for me, I think, and there have been you know academic studies that show that reading fiction improves your your you know your empathy as a human being. So, for me, I think going through that experience of analyzing and empathizing with fictional characters actually helped me then relate to real people as a leader. I hope. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before, actually. You know, it's, it's funny. Did you, as an English major, did you... So, so I've, I've heard from other people, I heard an interesting answer to a question sort of like this, and it, maybe it's not relevant for English majors, but it was maybe more creative writing that, that being a, being, doing creative writing in college forced you to be in a room and having to receive feedback from a lot of people and give feedback, and that that sort of intensive experience of doing that ended up being critical for sort of management leadership skills afterwards. Different from what you're talking about, but it's so interesting that that some of these sort of unexpected elements of your educational experience can end up, you know, down the road helping you out. Yes, I, I think that is 100% true. And, you know, a similar thing for me was learning to talk in class. I mean, being a student where you raise your hand and throw your ideas out there and, engage. That is something that is really helpful in the workplace as well. Like if you're in a meeting and you don't say anything in the meeting, it's kind of a wasted opportunity for you to interact with your colleagues. And I think especially for a lot of young people, it can be intimidating to speak up in a meeting, especially if you're the youngest one in the room. And, you know, I think in a 
class setting, even just something as simple as talking in class really helped me develop the confidence I needed to succeed at work. Yeah, very interesting. Me too. Very, very, very interesting. Um, so we're we're sort of getting towards the end of our of our conversation, and now we have what what we call our quick fire round. And so it's just a series of questions, and uh, and if you could just give us a quick answer, though I have to admit that some of these questions invite sometimes a longer answer, but which is okay. The first one is 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 pretty simple, but I think people are always interested. What gets you motivated at work? Uh, working with wonderful, wonderful people. So I think that no matter what you're working on, if the people you're working with are good, funny, kind, decent, smart people, you will have fun doing it. How about a piece of advice that someone gave you earlier in your career that you didn't take, but you wish you did? That's a tough one. Um, I tend to be an advice taker. (laughs) Um, I think that... You can pass. <laughs> well, I think that I do think earlier in my career I was a little hesitant sometimes to negotiate, and you always read, especially like women don't negotiate. Um, I'm not sure that that is true. The latest studies I've seen show that women do ask for raises at the same rate as men do, especially younger women. But I didn't. So I think what some of the advice I got was, you know, you should negotiate, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It felt too awkward. So I wish I had. Yeah, sometimes people tell you to do things, but it's sort of oftentimes, I mean, easier said than done, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 a it's a tough thing to negotiate. It's a tough thing to to speak up in meetings and so on. Sometimes it takes more than just the advice. You need sort of the know-how and courage and so on. Third question. What makes for a good mentor in your mind? And I guess we could elaborate that by asking, you know, do you have a mentor? Have you been a mentor? Tell us about mentoring in your in your sort of professional experience. Yeah, I've been lucky to have some really great mentors. And I think some great mentors, if they are outside your organization, will at the very least give you advice and believe in you and take you to cool cool events and introduce you to interesting people uh, and help build your network. If they do work with you, they can give you better assignments. They can give you stretch assignments. They can give you the courage to fail. They can give you useful advice. One piece of advice I got from a mentor when I was just starting out on my first project, managing a big project that was helpful was, it's not your job to be liked. It's your job to get this project done. And just hearing that it wasn't my job to be super, the, you know, the super likable young person, which is sort of the role I had been in, was really helpful to me. So sometimes a mentor can just give you one piece of concise advice that, that sticks with you. And I do try to mentor other people and to do those same things for them now that I'm at a higher level in the organization. And I have to say, it's incredibly rewarding to see that you can help someone build their confidence, to see that you, if, if you believe in someone who is smart and deserving, that it can make a difference in their life. So, and I would agree. And and so I think, I think a question that I would have if I were, you know, a, y- a young person is, you know, how do, how do I find a mentor? You know, it's it, sometimes we're assigned a mentor, but often it's sort of like a bit forced. It could, it could actually end up being really successful. But aside from sort of pure assignment, how, how do I, how do I even think about like finding someone who could be my mentor? I think it's tough because you don't really want to go around being like, hello, will you mentor me? I, I think the way that I've seen work best is just show chutzpah, show moxie, go above and beyond, do your best work, be pleasant to be around. You know, don't say no to any assignments, really. Like if you are handed an assignment that you really think you can't do, 
that find a way to do it, ask for advice on how to do it, but don't turn it down. Um, and, and to just be that kind of young go-getter that people like being around and people will mentor you. I think it's tougher if you are a minority in your organization. If you don't look like the dominant group, it's really hard to find a mentor at your office. But in that case, I think finding mentors through you know networks outside of your office is a good sort of backup option if there's no one in your workplace that seems to be a good fit for you. That's great advice. And the last question that we have, uh, and this has been a really uh, useful conversation, really great. The, the last question I have is is um, one of my favorites, actually, because I every time I ask it, I always sort of think about, hmm, how would I answer that? Uh, and here's my question: if you could, if you could sort of re- really rewind and go back in time, and you could sort of talk to that, you know, twenty year old college version of you you know, taking the English literature classes, empathizing with those characters in the novels, you know, wondering about your future career in journalism. What advice would you have for, for given your current sort of level and status and, you know, level of wisdom and so on, what advice would you have for that younger version of you? Oh, man. I would probably say everything will be all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's normal to, to worry about your future. I worry about my future now. You know, it's, it's like, I don't worry about what I've, I've already done, but I think, gosh, you know, I'm going to work 30 more years. What do they look like? But so I think we all have that feeling. But I think knowing what I know now, I would just say, yeah, just put in your time and work hard and everything, everything will work out and take more risks because you don't, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true that you don't regret the things that you, did. You regret the things you didn't do. Well, we're at the end of our chat. And I wanted to thank you so much for, for being our guest. Can, can you tell listeners if they want to find out more about the work you do? I know you do multiple things, how, how they can find you. Yeah. Well, I hope that people will subscribe to the Women at Work podcast that I co-host and, and of course, the HBR IdeaCast. We also have another show that I think people might be interested in, which is called Dear HBR, which is an advice show. And uh, it's co-hosted by a couple lovely colleagues of mine. And of course, if anyone wants to find me on in the real world, I'm at, at SKGreen on Twitter. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Andy. This has been really fun. So that was an interesting episode, uh, Sarah Green Carmichael. I have here uh, Allison, Sabrina, and Manis. What'd you guys think? Reactions. The one thing that stood out to me a lot was her composure and confidence throughout the whole process of like finding a job and then just, yeah. I, I really like how she, she has like this everything's going to be okay attitude. And that's like a reminder to everyone to not freak out too much. It's going to be okay. Yeah, and this is a constant theme like in these podcasts. Like when you ask them to give their 12-year-old selves or like 16-year-old selves some advice, they all just keep saying that like, yeah, everything's going to be fine. So I think it's a really important message for us as students. And it's really like, it's a really good time to get this message because we are like feeling we're in a stage of stress and uncertainty. <laughs> so that I really enjoy it. So people, I think people, and I want to hear from you, Allison, too. But I think people have like tremendous like empathy for their younger selves, which makes me then think that their younger selves must have been pretty nervous, Mm -hmm. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Allison, what was your, what were your thoughts? Well, I was, uh, one of my favorite things that she 
mentioned was that we regret the things that we don't do rather than the things that we do do, which suggests that we should take more risks. And like where we are right now, it does feel like taking risks is really, really scary because you're coming right out of like just coming out of college right now. So I think it's kind of a bit of inspiration for us to know that we don't have to worry too much, like take risks, try to do things that we're interested in and don't just force it. Yeah, that's another theme across a lot of these podcasts, sort of like the invention, reinvention idea that people don't end up. I don't think she ever would have thought she would be an editor at Harvard Business Review as like an English major in college. She said that, right? Mm -hmm. But that's like a theme in all these podcasts, right? I don't think there are very few people who sort of had some master plan and executed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how about the, uh, I, th- I thought one, I have to mention one other thing that I thought was really interesting here was, you know, she's, I think she's our first English major. None of, what are you guys majoring in? Business and math. Business and economics. Computer science. Okay. So no English majors, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think that that was really interesting. Like how majoring in English actually had some benefit. Do you remember what she talked about there? I thought that was really interesting. I actually wrote about this in the Forbes article that that I published alongside the episode. Do you remember what she said? Yeah, she said something about writing helps her like live in this world with her fictional characters and kind of like learn about real people in the real world. Yeah. yeah. It's like they talk in, in business, they talk about, have you heard the term like emotional intelligence? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like that. It's like being able to sort of step into the shoes or empathize with someone. And like she was saying that in English, you know, English literature, you have to do that. Certainly if you're a creative writer, but also if you're analyzing creative writing to step into the shoes of a character. And that sort of empathic leap is something that she brings to everyday life. I thought that was actually really cool, you know? So last thoughts, anything? I actually wanted to add onto the creative writing thing because even though I'm not an English major, I used to write a lot of stories and I still write a lot of stories. And I never thought of it in that way that you can use that to view, uh, like understand how other people think, even though that's what I'm doing when I'm writing. So that was like directly linking something that I'd never directly linked before. Yeah, so you've got like a secret talent yeah. you didn't realize. <laughs> um, yeah, did you? Yeah, and like moving on from that, like, I mean, this is just one example and I'm sure like a lot of skills like that we as college students are building Mm-hmm. are similar like we don't realize like when we do one task that it's going to build a completely different skill mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i feel like some of the skills that we build are actually going to be really helpful in the future that we don't realize right now she also i'll just end on one other thing i remember from the interview she talked about initiative do you remember that like that yeah. she wanted to do a thesis in college but mm-hmm. she hadn't taken like the some prep class i think she she transferred actually she went to brown university i did too so we had that connection and but then she like kind of basically like begged the dean (laughs) like she basically was quite assertive right and she said that that wasn't in her nature she was stepping outside her comfort zone but she's able to do it and in that was a skill she said that kind of carried through professionally so i thought that was kind of cool too it's like you know all right so very interesting episode, different from some of the others. If you're listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom for the first time, if this is your first episode, check out our other episodes. We've got a catalog now of several other episodes, really cool ones. Um, you'll learn such interesting stories about entrepreneurs, business people who have taken such cool twists and turns in their careers. And I think it will really help you if you are a college student, if you're a recent college student, or even if you're an old uh, person like me. <laughs> Uh, follow us, please, on Instagram. What's our Instagram again? From the Dorm Room Podcast. 
from the Dorm Room Podcast. Check us out on Instagram. Um, check us out on Facebook and Twitter at uh, From the Dorm Room. And stay tuned for next week's episode.